0: by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders, fifteen miles well, away. When they arrived, they found the telephone hey, hey. and
0: electricity it's lines weird is one
1: investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Murder.
0: There are some true crime mysteries that keep people up at night: the nagging questions and the great big who done it. On June 10th, 1912, one of these mysterious murders took place, and despite having a good idea of what may have happened, there are still so many questions about exactly who committed the Veliska Axe murders. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On June 10th, 1912, Ten-year-old Mary Catherine Moore invited her friends, Ina May, eight, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at her home in Villisca, Iowa. The fun day would begin with the Children's Day program at their church, which their mother Sarah, 39, had coordinated, and end with a fun sleepover for the three girls. The program ended and the Moores and the Stillinger sisters arrived at the Moores' house around 10 p.m., from there, sometime between when they arrived home and the following morning, a mysterious crime took place inside of the Moore's home, one that leaves people theorizing still to this day. At around 7 a.m. the following morning, a woman named Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbor, grew concerned when she did not see the Moore children performing their morning chores. It was very unlike them to get such a late start to the day, so she went to the house and knocked on the door. "'She received no answer. "'She tried to enter the home, "'but found that the door had been locked. "'So Mary let the chickens out "'and called Josiah Moore's brother "'to come check on the family. "'He knocked and too received no answer. "'So using his spare key, "'he entered the home "'and was greeted with a horrific sight. "'When he opened the guest room door, "'he found Ina and Lena's body "'and yelled for the neighbors "'to call Veliska's officers. "'As more of the house was searched,' Each member of the Moore family was found in their beds, having been bludgeoned to death with Josiah's own axe. There was Josiah, 43, and his wife Sarah and their four children, Herman Montgomery, 11, Mary Catherine, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. Immediately, the people of Aliska were scratching their heads. The Moors were a well-liked and affluent family. Who could want to hurt them? As investigators began searching the house, they found two spent cigarettes in the attic, leaving them to believe that the killer, or killers, waited in the attic for the family to fall asleep. That the killer began with Josiah and Sarah and moved from room to room while each occupant was fast asleep. Except for Lena, who showed signs that she attempted to fight off her assailant. Her nightgown found pushed up on her waist and wearing no undergarments. Josiah received the worst of it, having so many cuts to his face that his eyes were missing. During his attack, the killer used the blade, while with the other members, the blunt end was used. The killer also left a four pound slab of bacon leaning against the wall next to the ax, and all the mirrors and glass in the home were covered with pieces of clothing. On the table was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water. No one knew anyone who would want to hurt them, let alone kill them. The investigation began, and every unaccounted-for stranger in the town became a suspect. The first was a man named Andy Sawyer. There was no real evidence that connected him to the crime, but his name did get brought up during the course of the investigation. According to a bridge foreman and pile driver, Andy approached the crew around 6 a.m. on the morning of the murders and asked for a job. His shoes and pants were covered in mud, but needing the manpower, they gave Andy the job. Then the crew started to notice that this man seemed to want to know everything about the Villisca Axe murders. He purchased every newspaper and asked constantly if anyone knew if they had caught the murderer, that he had been in Villisca the night of the murder and didn't want to be a suspect, so he left. His boss turned him in on June 18, 1912. He would later testify that just before the sheriff arrived, Andy suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will cut your goddamn heads off, and made striking motions like he was using an axe. Someone else testified that on the day that the crew went through Villisca, Andy mentioned that he could show them how the murderer got out of town and proceeded to jump over a box and point towards the railroad track. He was eventually dismissed as a suspect when officials learned that he could prove that he was in Iowa at the time of the murders, that he had been arrested that night and wasn't put on the train out of town until 11 p.m. Next to be considered was George Kelly, who was a traveling minister in town at the time of the murders. He was described as odd and had issues with peeping into windows and asking women to pose nude for him. He taught at the very Children's Day service that the Moore family attended and left town promptly the next morning, hours before the bodies were found. He even confessed to the murders in court and gave great detail about the crime to police prior to his arrest. But the jury did not believe his confession when he was tried twice for the murder. Another suspect was Frank Jones, an Iowa state senator who had business taken away by Josiah Moore who was also rumored to be having an affair with Frank's daughter-in-law. Then there was the serial killer theory. Some believe that a serial killer operating along the railways went from state to state committing similar axe murders, murders like those that occurred in New Orleans. One of these suspected serial killers was William Mansfield who also murdered his in-laws and child with an axe just two years before the Villisca murders and was suspected of a second axe murder in Kansas just four days before the Moore murders. Another was Henry Lee Moore, who murdered his mother and grandmother just months before the ones in Villisca. And finally, Paul Mueller, whose connection to the Villisca murders, as well as many others, were the subject of a 2017 book, The Man from the Train. The authors surmised that this axe murderer, who they believed was Paul Mueller, killed at least 59 people in 14 separate incidents along the railways. But, in the end, we are only left to make assumptions and accusations. No one, as of yet, has been definitively connected to the Villisca axe murders. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again to hear what terrible thing happened on June 11th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon, or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee.